Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by one of the How I Quit Alcohol grads. She is a yoga teacher. She is a workplace engagement specialist, which I'll let her tell you all about. (laughs) And as of the recording today, 360 days sober, but um, this is being recorded probably a few months before we actually air this episode because I'm going away around Australia. But welcome, Jade Lee. How are you? I'm amazing. Thanks, Danny. I'm so excited to be here. It's so good to see your gorgeous face yet again. It's always lights up the Zoom room whenever you're in it. So tell us a bit firstly about what's a workplace engagement specialist? 
So what I specialize in, Danny, is helping organizations have more fulfilled employees. So people who are more engaged with their work. When people are more engaged and connected to those around them, they work better, they're more productive and organizations uh, become more profitable. So I've got a background in HR and have worked in the area of workplace engagement specialty for the last three and a half years now. It's much like our engagement with ourselves, isn't it? The more engaged we are with ourselves, when you told me this before, I thought, oh, yes, that's a good metaphor. The more productive we are and the more profitable, I guess you could say, just out of how we show up in the world and how the quality of our life that we lead. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I've actually, I wrote a book around it and in there, there's the engagement ladder. I talk about how you can work better as part of a team in that book, but it all equally applies to your own level of personal engagement. So yeah, absolutely. Mm. And and the idea of that connection to ourselves generally assists our connection. Well, it does. It assists our connection to others. So if we want to be able to connect and work well in a work environment, first having that connection to yourself is very helpful in that journey. Yeah, absolutely. What's the name of the book? What My Sherpa Taught Me About Teams, A Guide to Engagement at Work. Tell us why the Sherpa. The Sherpa Eight years ago, I went trekking in Nepal because, interestingly enough, I was very disengaged with my work and decided that I'd had enough and went uh, travelling for about five months. And I met the man who was my Sherpa, uh, who took me to Everest Base Camp. He is now my husband. You dirty slut. (laughs) (laughs) You are that girl. You are that tourist. It was actually quite funny because having the background in HR, I was all about, oh, you can't have relations with your employees and all of that kind of stuff. And then I was like, oh, whatever. No one's going to know. Do you get him to like carry your bags when you do the shopping? (laughs) Well, that's the scary thing, Danny. He's actually, since he's been in Australia for the last seven years, he now doesn't like to be the Sherpa. He Good feels on that he's, yeah. But now you're his Sherpa, which I love that. He's, um, he's scrapped his Sherpa identity. Yeah, so we're, we can always pick up new identities and he's decided he's an Australian bloke now and he doesn't Sherpa I love me. that. I love that. <laughs> That's so gorgeous. I love that. What's his name? His name is Gabinda. Yeah, so beautiful soul. I met him when I was 38 and, yeah, had so much fun on trekking to Everest Base Camp. I thought I'd better take him home. So... <laughs> yes. That started a um to get it on in the tent. There's no tents. No, we did it's actually it's a it's a bit of a misnomer the uh, the tents in Everest Base Camp. You can do tents, but generally people stay in like they call them tea houses. They're just really simple guest houses. So mm-hmm. there may have been some rice wine involved at the time, which was eight years ago, and there may have been a bit of seduction, and that may be where how we ended up here. <laughs> That's for another podcast, I'm sure. Uh, That's fantastic. Okay, so tell me firstly, before I actually go in, I'm going to shake things up a bit today because I'm feeling a bit cray-cray, but tell me me what was alcohol doing for you? I usually ask this at some point in the podcast, but I'm going to actually ask that straight up today. What was right about the alcohol? What did it do for you? What I believed it did for me at the time was that it reduced my stress. It was great for socializing. It was very much a part of my identity. That was kind of the cool, fun chick, always up for a good time. But I would say mainly my main thing was just a ritual at the end of the day. Like you finish work, you work hard, you finish work and you pour yourself a glass of wine while you're having dinner. Mm. And it was very much a relaxing ritual for me um, Mm. at the time. 
the ritual to relax, which is often so many people's, that's their go-to to relax at the end of the day, rather Absolutely. than realizing I could just have a cup of tea and sit down, or I can just sit down and do a bit of stretching or maybe do yoga nidra when I get home. Oh my God, even better. <laughs> that's right. And I don't think I ever, it was more of a ritual for me. Like I never really had that feeling. Everyone talks about the feeling like, oh my God, I'm relaxed now. I've had my glass of wine. It wasn't really that. It was more just a ritual around you finish the day, you finish the day, you deserve it. And that was one of the thoughts or the beliefs that I had to really work on when I did quit, because I thought, yeah, you deserve to have one. You deserve to have alcohol because it's a, it's something good. It's a reward. I used it very much as a reward. Yeah. That's the big thing too. It's my reward. Which I now realize was a very bad reward and it really (laughs) wasn't relaxing me. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. How did you feel the next day after waking up after a big night? the thing with me I never really got hangovers as such so I wasn't somebody I was somebody who could drink a lot like I'm five foot flat and I could drink a lot for my size and I never really got hangovers so I'd still get up at 5 30 walk the dog even after downing a couple of bottles of wine and I could cope with that so there was obviously something in my body allowed me to do that so I, I used to joke that I come from a long line of alcoholics but as time went on and I started to think about maybe you are drinking too much, maybe you need to have a look at this. And when I would promise myself in the morning that I wouldn't drink and then the next day I had drunk a couple of bottles of wine or even a bottle of wine or a couple of glasses, it was that sense of disappointment in myself. The disappointments, it's a big one. Obviously, it's asking that question, well, how rewarding is it to feel disappointed in yourself? There's no reward in that. And I guess that's where we start to weigh it up and think, okay, what's this giving me? What's it taking from me? Is it actually enhancing me or is it taking away? So tell me a bit about how you got started on your journey with alcohol. Where did it all begin for you? So I never drank a drop of alcohol until I was 18. My mother promised me a Porsche if I got to 21 without drinking alcohol, which is very telling of her relationship with alcohol now, I I realise. My mother's passed away, so I can't ask her these hard questions, but I think that she probably didn't really necessarily want me to to drink as much as she was drinking. So I didn't drink a drop of alcohol until I was 18. And I didn't really drink to excess. And when I say excess is going out or getting to a point of blackout or anything like that until I was about 21, 22. So I was a bit of a late bloomer. Yeah. And it was, and it was very interesting that basically for me, it came around not so much acceptance, but a enhancing my level of coolness if you can say that. So Mm. I was quite young in my years. So I didn't, like when I turned 18, I was in second year uni. So I went through all all through the first year uni without any alcohol. And then I got into second year uni and I did chemistry. So I was hanging out with a lot of these really nerdy chemists. And there was one girl there who was a drinker. She was a couple of years older than me. She was a drinker and we kind of hang out together and we became the cool people, the cool people of the chemistry group, which isn't really that cool, but. It's a thing. But okay. It's true. But alcohol had a lot to do. I associated alcohol to have a lot to do with that level of coolness. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And not really acceptance, but yeah, cool. Being more socially out there and more worldly, I guess. Mm. And so how you started, was it like binge drinking? How did it, how did it yeah. look? So yeah, so then it was binge drinking. So it was going out on a Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, probably when I was younger, not drinking a heck of a lot other than that. Although I do remember we went to the uni club. We went to the uni club and we were down a cup, a jug of VB before we went back to a, a lecture, which is really funny because trying to deal with quantum mechanics when you're half cut isn't very helpful. Oh um, 
<laughs> the lecture we realized and yeah I had to do that subject twice surprisingly enough yeah so it was probably binge drinking at that point probably until I was in my uh, I would say probably 30s before it, it was a daily drinking as a single woman I lived alone until my husband uh, came on the scene when I was 38 so I was living on my own and I, and I had all these rules like you don't drink at home when you're alone and only drink when you're going out but then that over time those rules kind of disappeared and I was yeah, drinking relatively daily probably from when I was about let's say 32 because I worked on a mine site for a while and I wasn't drinking daily then because you're on a mine site you had to be zero but yeah over time it just got progressively progressively worse as it does. At the peak of it how much were you drinking? Well, it's funny. I It's not funny, actually. It's a bit <laughs> horrifying. So I started drinking the Hardy's one litre bottles. So, yeah, so it was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it was, it was all about the sophistication, wasn't it, Danny? Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, it was definitely at least like I could drink two bottles of wine on a, on a weeknight, no problems. And the thing is that I was still like I was still functioning. I was still doing a high pressure job. I was, it wasn't becoming enough of a problem that I needed to do anything about it. But a few things happened that made me recognize that I wanted to do something about it. I didn't, I had recognized that it was getting progressively worse. And where would I be in 10 years time? Mm-hmm. What did worse look like? Worse looked like blacking out on a weeknight, drinking too much, opening an extra bottle of wine. My husband actually saying to a friend of mine, Jade's such a good drinker, she can drink two bottles of wine and still get up at six o'clock in the morning and walk the dog. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's not something I want to be known for. That's It's a fact, but it really grated. Then I started to think, well, why is that grating on me so much? And, and then I started noticing how much I was drinking in comparison to other people. I really thought that I was drinking just the same as other people, but I wasn't. When I went out, I was having four or five glasses of wine. Other people were only having one or two. And then I was going home and drinking. I was drinking again. So we're getting drunk. I mean, you must have been drunk if you're drinking that much. I was, I was drunk. And I was always really about not appearing drunk. Even from the very early years, I was very all about being able to handle my alcohol and not appear drunk. Well, I mean, um, we all think that, but were you really? Yeah. Well, look, I, look, I can only go by what, what people, people say. Like, obviously, like once I get to blackout drunk, yeah, I was definitely, I was all over the shop and people would tell me about it. But yeah, like I was definitely getting drunk. Absolutely. Like two bottles of wine, I was, I was passing out on the couch kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess it also depends on over what period you're doing it and all that kind of stuff. But, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't every single night, like this thing, like I, Often wouldn't drink Monday, Tuesday, but it was very much, yeah, why do you need this in your life? What is it giving you? And all through this time, I was also practicing yoga. So I was, I'm going to do all the good yoga things, but I'm going to be that one yogi who can drink alcohol as well because I'm not willing to give up alcohol. But there's a reason why the yogis don't drink alcohol. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all of those things. So there was a lot of competing, like, you know, they talk about the cognitive dissonance. There's a lot of things that were competing against me drinking and everything started to become, it started to become very, very clear that alcohol was the one thing that was holding me back from reaching my potential. I knew that I was not going to reach my potential, reach my best being when I was drinking alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. And that cognitive dissonance that we feel, that kind of like push-pull, oh, no, you know, one part of me is a yogi, one part of me is two bottles of wine a night, and it just feels so uncomfortable in your own skin with it. It's like, who even am I? It's a terrible place to be sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And then it was also going to those places that I didn't want to go to. 
So I didn't really want to delve too much into the why I was drinking or I'm someone who hasn't, I never really felt my feelings properly until I gave up alcohol and it was Mm. scary. It was scary to do that. So it was easier just to continue to drink and just do what everybody else around me was doing. Mm. And so when I I said to you earlier on, what was it doing for you? Could there have been a part that it was keeping you disconnected from your own feelings? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It was. Mm-hmm. With it. And mm-hmm. and that's right. So now looking back on it, I can see that. But at the time, I didn't even know. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's right. Like a lot of the things that have come up around childhood stuff, like that isn't a massive big deal, but they start, everything starts to make sense as to why I behaved the way I behave and why I had to have alcohol in my life and that what it was numbing. But at the time, I had zero idea. I had zero yeah. idea. I thought I was drinking to have fun. I really honestly believed I was drinking because it made me have fun and chill out at the end of the day because I deserved it. That's what I believed. And that's yeah. often the story that we tell ourselves, right? Until we kind of dig a bit deeper and get some understanding into what was driving this thing in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. it kind of got to a point where I was drinking every single night and I read a quick book by Annie Grace, This Naked Mind, and I remember listening to that and walking along the river and thinking, I don't think I can stop. I actually thought, I don't think I can, I can not drink one night. And then that realization was like, wow, if you think that, then you really need to do something about it. What made you think that you couldn't stop? Because I'd been saying to myself, I won't drink tonight. I won't drink tonight. And I was. How did Um, that feel to have that realization of, wow, I don't think I can stop. How did that feel? Oh, it was horrifying. For me, someone who values freedom and being in control of my life, it was actually really horrifying. And it was a realization that really woke me up, like to actually sit there and think, I actually don't think I could stop. And then that made me, made me realize you need to show that you can, like you, you need mm-hmm. to do. And for me at that point, so that was three years ago, at that point, it was just around stopping just being able to stop and being able to, I lost some weight. I didn't drink for four months and was reading quit lit and I did the whole thing and I got to four months and stupidly that was just before COVID hit. And I went back to drinking just before COVID hit and thought I should keep it up for another two years after that. But through that time from December, 2019 till April, 2022, I was in constant cognitive dissonance then. It was like every time I drank, I knew it wasn't good for me. I was probably having more days off than on, but I had two realizations. One, you keep doing the the same 10 days, the worst 10 days over and over again, because I kept saying I was going to stop. And then kind of between 10 days and 15 days, I'd have a drink and go back again. And then for me, once I had a drink one day, I would definitely have one the next day. It just seems to be that pattern, doesn't it, that we go, okay, just have one and then back, we're off to the races again. What was it that was getting you back in around the 10 to 15 day mark? Oh, God, it could have been, could have been anything. It could have been reason to celebrate. It could have been something's gone wrong. Could have been yeah, you're fine. I think for me there was, and it probably is, there's probably some physiological reason. There's something at that time where I was like, yeah, I'm, I don't know what it was, but it was, it was always like a reason, but it was a stupid reason. Like we need to go out for dinner. We need to do this. You you, you should drink because of this, or you've done such a good job up until now. Why don't you have a drink? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think also we're getting around that two week mark, anywhere between the two and four week mark. That's actually when it can get pretty tough because you're actually start the kind of the first two weeks is usually a bit of a challenge. It's a bit exciting almost sometimes that wears off. And then that sheer willpower wears off and then it starts getting into that kind of, oh, okay, the subconscious is really trying to draw you back into that old 
behavioural patterns and it will find anything to trick you into having just one. I guess that's the time to have really got to be on guard too. And then again, I think the four week, yeah, the two to four week market just, that's when you've really got to dig in. Yeah, absolutely. And I, just that realisation of like, I was, I don't know, I remember I was walking in the bushland when I had the realisation. It's like, why are you continuing to do these same 10 days to two weeks over and over again? Like it's it's the worst time. Like you're basically just causing yourself to live in the worst environment. Like get past mm. it, get past it <laughs> or continue to drink, whatever. But it's kind of it was like a self-sabotaging punishment. Like it was really weird, um, yeah. which we all do it. Though. Like we all do it. Yeah. So I was just like, no, like, you know, you don't want to do it. You really need to give it a red hot crack. Yeah. And just get past it. I think that's a great message. Just get past that bit. And then when the next bit comes up, just get past that. (laughs) Just get past it. Whatever you need to do. And I think that's the other thing. Like I think you need to be, well, for me, I needed to be in a position where it was all in, this is it. Like I stopped on Easter Sunday and I was like, right, this is an auspicious day, new beginnings. Let's Mm. just make it happen. And then interestingly, a lot of things then just came into my life to help me once I'd really made that decision that I was like, this is day one, this is the last day one, like, let's just do it. The last day one. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny how things start to fall in your lap that help you. And I think it's that old saying, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And when we're ready to receive, the things start dropping in our laps. And then we're more open to it. We just soak it all up and take it in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing was that at that time, like I hadn't even found your podcast at that time and your podcast was one of the things that got delivered to me. So mm. there was two podcasts that were recommended to me and I started listening to yours from the start. I don't know, the first four or five episodes are 12 months, 12 months, 12 months. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay, Danny. I don't know who you are, but okay, I'm listening. Okay, universe, 12 months. I'll give it 12 months. And But there is so much in that. So very early on, I decided I was going for 12 months. Mm-hmm. The 12 months is great because it just gives you that big chunk of time to actually do some work and then see how you feel at the end of it. It's not forever. It's just 12 months mm. and we can do 12 months. I think there's taking a month off here and there. That's sometimes people do that just to tell themselves they're not an alcoholic, which that doesn't show that you're not an alcoholic at all. It just shows that you've gone a month with sheer willpower. And the other thing that I learned during those two years when I went back to it was I learned I cannot moderate. I learned that in spades. So I had that very strong knowledge that moderation was not going to work for me. And I had enough evidence up the wazoo (laughs) say, look, Jade, you're not a moderator. (laughs) You're an all or nothing girl. And maybe it needs to be nothing. Yes, absolutely. I could so agree with that. I can totally relate to that. Tell us a bit about deciding, okay, this is it. This is day one. What got you there? Was it just the having enough of the 10 to 15 day cycle? What was the real catalyst that pushed you over the edge? There wasn't actually anything major. I can still remember myself sitting on my couch on Easter Saturday with a glass of wine in my hand, just saying tomorrow is going to be day one. And I, I'm pretty certain that it was not long after that, that I had the realization around the same 10 days. And then I also had enough awareness to recognize that my yoga practice needed to be very closely aligned with my alcohol-free journey. So to kind of replace alcohol with yoga. So not so much at the same time of day, but whenever I was feeling a bit rocky, I would make sure I went to yoga the next morning. So those two realizations were probably the big things. There was nothing amazing about that day that made it was going to be the the last one. And it could have very easily not been the last one. 
And as I said, then things started to come into my life that helped me to go with the realization that 12 months needed to be to be the go. And even when I committed to the 12 months, I knew it was going to be more than 12 months, but 12 months was doable. 12 months was yeah, more achievable, like you said. Mm. And 12 months is a real challenge too. It's like you tell your friends, oh, 12 months, that's it. And I don't know, there's something about it. It's just it's gutsy. It's ballsy. Until they start asking you, you're nearly at 12 months, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, going to keep going actually. <laughs> Yeah, that's always a challenge too. So tell me a bit about when you had that after that Easter Sunday or when you got to that 10 to 15 day mark, which came around, did the the sneaky bitch start up in your head and trying to get you to have just one? Yeah. The sneaky bitch, yeah, she was she was on fire. But I had as part of this decision, I said I was going to go all in. So I was basically going to every time the sneaky bitch had something to say, I wrote down what that belief was. Like you can just have one. And then Annie Grace has this technique called the ACT technique, which is basically you're turning around the story. So the story is I can just have one or you deserve just one and then all the reasons why that's not true and then what your real belief is, I don't need to have one. Mm. I don't need to have one. I can do something else instead. So I basically went through all my cravings, all my reasons for craving, everything like that, and I just wrote it down and journaled on it. And I basically just, like I, I say I did a PhD in addiction for the first year. Everything I could read and listen to, I did and got to really understand what the cravings were about, really understand what that alcohol cycle is about. And I actually learned why I was feeling that way. I can't quite remember now, but at the time it all made perfect sense why those 10 days were going to be difficult. And then I replaced. So I, I still had the, the ritual of sitting down and doing something in the afternoon, but I replaced the alcohol with something else. And I made sure that mind-body connection practice stayed with me. That For me, that was the key. Mm, what did you replace it with? I replaced it with tonic water and lime and I mixed it up a bit. So I, I didn't, I wanted a nice glass. It's mm. still the whole ritual of getting out the wine glass, putting the ice and all of that. So I did basically the entire ritual and then had something non-alcoholic in it. Sometimes it was, it was non-alcoholic wine. Sometimes it was non-alcoholic beer, but it was around keeping that part of my evening ritual, which is about relaxing, but making it about something else. And then I would listen to a podcast while I made dinner, because I'm still not a big fan of cooking. Mm -hmm. So that might have also been something that alcohol was giving me, like numbing out the whole cooking process. So I I replaced it with a nice ritual that I still enjoyed, but didn't involve alcohol. I love the catchphrase from Monday Distillery, switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual. Absolutely. So great. Just change it up. Keep the ritual, just change it up, do it a little bit differently. Yeah. And if things got really bad, I'd go for a walk or something, get myself out of the house. Like there was probably often alcohol in the house. I could have probably had a drink if I wanted to, but I was by that stage, I was so aware of what was going to, was likely to trigger me that I was just on top of it. And I was also very careful in the first month or so to stay away from anything that was going to be difficult. Um, I think that's really, that's really wise to knowing what things are going to trigger you, especially in that first few weeks, the first four weeks, really important just to be aware and stay away from those things that are going to trigger you. Absolutely. And now it's I've great. got a list. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that it's great to write them down. Write them down, like plan any kind of roadblocks that could potentially show up for you. Write them down, know what they are, and think about an action plan around them because it's so important. And another message for people who are listening who is kind of on the start of the journey, some of those triggers are not true, like they're not triggers anymore for me. Like they mm-hmm. were triggers early on, but now I'm, I've gone through, like I've created new neural pathways now so that they're not a trigger. Like for example, Getting on an aeroplane or going to an airport was a massive trigger for me. 
Like it was like, you must drink. Mm-hmm. Just stupid, but doesn't matter what time of day, but the idea of drinking was always in my head. Whereas I've been through that a few times now, so I don't feel that way. But I think just the awareness first, being able to go through it. And the more times you actually go through that craving, the less it's an issue for you because your body, your mind knows, oh, actually, no, we're not going to get alcohol and that's fine. It's just teaching it, isn't it? It's teaching the brain. Mm. Oh, I've got a craving. No, we're not giving into that. We're not getting that little dopamine hit that we're after we're creating yeah you create new neural pathways you get better at it and it's almost like bring on the cravings because the more we can experience and go through the stronger we get absolutely that's the thing yeah that was part of my strategy was actually to throw myself into once I was a bit more confident to actually put myself into more difficult situations so that I could work through the craving and notice how I felt, notice why I felt it and then journal on that and the reasons why and how I can combat it. Mm. Um, So I basically, yeah, just became my own psychologist. Yeah, well, why not? Absolutely. What you said to doing the PhD in addiction, I can totally relate to that too. It's just like learn as much as you possibly can. And I did the same, just like learn, learn, learn. I did a PhD probably in addiction and spirituality. Just went hard on it and just took in everything I could, just any free space that I had, I would just keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. And it just filled that hole. Yeah. And I think also focusing on what life you want to create, not mm. what life you're leaving behind. Yeah. That was key for me. Like I, what type of life do you want to go? What? How can you step a little bit closer towards the life where you don't need to drink to de-stress? You actually can deal with that in other ways, or you can create a life where you're not always at such a heightened state, mm-hmm. um, which ultimately alcohol was doing to me. Like the constantly drinking alcohol was putting me in that heightened state, which I recognized reasonably early on. And and so then I, I knew the further away I was from alcohol, the less stressed I was going to become. And then you all the new ways you learn to deal with your stress. It's amazing. It's like just such a wondrous journey that's kind of never ending. Like what else can I do? What else can I learn? Mm-hmm. That's right. Just like, and then you just want more and more and more. And then it's a lot. There's so much out yeah, there then to learn. <laughs> you can end up not stopping. You had been sober for some time before you joined the How I Quit Alcohol Challenge. You had a few months up your sleeve, I think. Yeah, I did. I think I had about, yeah, about two months, I think I had mm-hmm. because I'd been introduced to your podcast and I had been, was listening and then I went, yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah, this is something. I'll do the six weeks challenge. Yep. Like again, listen to the universe. Yeah, let's do that challenge. It was really great to embed those different ways of learning like and getting that plan together. Like I remember there was one situation where I was going into a really triggering situation and I was talking to, to Lyndall and Lyndall said, write a plan. And I'm like, yeah, 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 sure. I've got a, I've got a plan. And she's like, no, write the plan. <laughs> like, Okay then. And as it turns out, I was going down to Sydney. So I was flying to Sydney. So trigger number one, flying to Sydney, going to, I went to the opera bar, trigger number two, caught a water taxi across to this beautiful restaurant where they had wine tasting, trigger number three, and a beautiful meal. And it was like trigger central but I had my plan and I had, I knew what I was going to order. And it was like, they don't have alcohol free beer. I will order a mocktail. If they don't have a mocktail, I'll order a lemon, lime and bitters. And I had it down to that detail. I had to get down to the lemon, lime and bitters, but I knew that was the plan. And I knew I had a phone. I could call somebody that was relatively early. It was a, like, I might've been less than three months sober at that stage. And when I finished that few days, I was like, there's not a heck of a lot more that could be thrown at me. And yeah. So it was like really starting to work on those neural pathways, which was Great. But having that plan, if I hadn't had the plan written down, it would have been a lot different situation. Plan makes such a massive difference where we've had people writing plans before, like literally down to what they're going to wear, 
what they're going to say if they have to leave early, like every single detail. I've seen some people's plans in the challenges that are like pages long. It's like all the different possibilities that could show up. And I think it's great. If you're going to a situation you're really, really worried about, get the plan down and get every single detail, everything that could possibly come up, get it down on paper. And there's something too about putting it down on paper and seeing it there on paper and taking it in your bag or putting it in your pocket or having it on you as well so that you can go to the loo if you need to quickly read through again, just to remind yourself it keeps you so present with it. If it's worth it, like if you're sobriety, if you're serious about sobriety and want to protect that sobriety that you've been working on, it's worth getting it down on paper and taking the time. To yeah, do absolutely. It. There's psychology in the fact that writing, thinking about it is no match for writing it. Actually, even just the act of writing it. But yeah, I did have it with me because I had my, I had some phone numbers there that I could have called. Like that would have been my last, <laughs> the last, oh, what's the word? The last stop would have been having to call somebody, but I didn't have to call anybody. So I was like, and I, and that feeling when I got home and or not home, got back to the hotel after that day and lied down in the beautiful bed and just no alcohol, like well done you. Like that was tough and you got through it and you did what you planned to do. And that just is so much better than waking up the next morning going, oh, shit, she's done it again. What did I do? Why did I do that? That feeling of disappointment as opposed to really feeling proud of yourself and proud of how you managed to get through what was a difficult situation. And it just proves that you can. Like it proves that you can do so much. It's not impossible. It just requires a bit of planning and a bit of sticking to your guns, putting the big girl pants on and just doing it. Just get through it. It's so doable. It absolutely is. And you do, you start feeling more and more proud of yourself and that increases your own confidence and makes you feel better about your life in general. It's like a little tumbleweed that keeps getting added to every time you say no. Mm, Absolutely. And there's nothing better. Nothing beats that feeling of being proud of yourself. It's just golden, especially after so many years of hating on yourself and having shame and regret, but just, wow, you did it. You did it. So good. It's just the best. Absolutely. And then you get to talk about it on podcasts later. I feel really then, awesome Yeah, that's right. It. That's right. I just, I did sit there back in the early days and said, right, okay, that's it. I need to get to 12 months so I can chat to Danny. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. So good. Tell me a bit about, so where you are now, how does life feel for you getting to the other side and getting to your 12 months down the track? How does it feel? It feels really good. I really feel that I have ticked off nearly every single situation I could ever possibly be in. I've done it sober now. It's reasonably well known in my circles that I am alcohol free and there's definitely a change in like I've become comfortable with the new identity of Jade who isn't the boozy chick, Jade who's the grounded connected chick which might be a bit woo-woo for some but (laughs) that's okay. I'm much more authentic and happy in my with who I am. So Yeah, it is a great feeling. Sometimes it feels like it's just normal now. It's just normal that I don't drink, which is great. But then you've still, you've got to remind yourself it is normal, but you still don't want to go back there. Yeah. You still have to stay on guard. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, tell us a bit about, I know you did have that time when you were in Europe and you shared with the grads too, there was a sort of slight slip up there. Talk yep. to us a bit about that at that moment when there was that slip up and and how that felt and talk us through that whole situation. 
Yeah. So I actually went on four months overseas holiday while I was going through my sober journey, which was interesting. So I didn't drink at Oktoberfest either. So I got through quite a few interesting things. I had alcohol-free beer at Oktoberfest and I was in Italy and there was no alcohol-free wine and there was alcohol-free beer, but there wasn't any alcohol-free wine, which is fair enough. Italians are very proud of their wine. And it was niggling at me. It had been niggling at me for a couple of days that I wanted wine. Anyway, so I sat down and there was a deal. So a lasagna with a bottle of, uh, with a glass of wine. And so I ordered that and my husband ordered the same thing. And I'd actually thought I can give him the glass of red wine. Maybe I'll just have a taste. And then mm-hmm. came, yeah. And then it came in front of me. It was this, it was the biggest glass of red wine you've ever seen. It was crazy. And I was just like, okay, just have a sip. And I was just so conscious the whole way through and the thought processes around, does this taste good? How's it making me feel? Am I willing to give up my sobriety for this? Is it really worth it? It was just, my mind was just going crazy. So I think I had maybe four or five sips of it and then just gave it to my husband. So he had quite a bit of alcohol, but just being able to recognize that this was not where I wanted to go. And the temptation was so real. And I knew that if I had have gone down that track, it was not going to end well. I really didn't want to disappoint myself that much. But I had the few sips and then I was like, no. Nah. It's actually taken me straight back to where I was, that feeling of cognitive dissonance that I'm trying so hard to get away from. I mean, that's dangerous, dangerous territory to even play or entertain that idea, having that little dance with that. And I mean, I'm so glad that you were able to stop. So I understand that you were sitting there and you're being really mindful and and weighing it up in your head. I mean, that doesn't sound very relaxing, by the way, it sounds like. No, it wasn't. It was horrifying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So like, I can't imagine myself having those sips and being able to stop, I don't think. But how was it hard to stop at that point? Like, how did you get the taste out of your mouth? All, All those things. It probably, yeah, it was. It was. It would have been very easy for me to continue drinking that glass, but I knew, I guess I probably went back to all my knowledge about my moderation that I'd learned. If you drink that, you're going to want another glass and then tomorrow you're going to want another glass. Coming back to that solid realisation that I'm not a moderator, and to be honest, I think there's very few people in the world who really are, who are able to, to manage moderation if you've got to the point of misusing alcohol, but just really... I think that was really what came to mind. It was, this is not going to be the one glass and you know it. So what are you doing? You're basically giving up your sobriety. So what, Mm. you know, so that was, and then pushing it away and eating my lasagna and having my water and having the dessert, had the tiramisu. (laughs) You should have had your husband's as well. (laughs) I should have. So sometimes you're in situations where it is very difficult and you kind of think no one would really know, but you recognize that the person who really matters is you. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter who, what anyone else thinks. It's what you think of yourself. And if you've made the decision and you really want this and you know your why and you know what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to leave behind, that's probably the key. It was the knowledge of why I was doing it and knowing enough about my behaviors and my cravings to know that it wasn't going anywhere good. And weighing it up too, like, is this worth it? Is this really, really worth it for all the work I've done and everything I've put in and playing the tape forward and seeing, I know how this is going to end. Is it worth yeah. it? It didn't like, and this is the thing, Danny, it didn't taste any good. Like, cause I'd been without alcohol, without wine for so long. Like when I drank that, it didn't, it didn't taste good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I was thinking about everything. What does it taste like? What's it doing? Why are you doing it? But ultimately it doesn't, it doesn't taste good. And interestingly, when I gave, gave up alcohol, couple of years prior when I first started drinking again it didn't taste good as well but I pushed through it like what's with that (laughs) 
I remember insanity. doing that with cigarettes. Like I'd give up cigarettes for however long and then I'd get pissed and then have a puff and it would taste like just hell. It just was so disgusting. Yet I'd still push through it and then I'd end up chain smoking again until the next time. It was always the same fucking pattern and it tastes disgusting and it still do it. It's like you just, you push through. The same yeah. as any, any time you probably first taste alcohol. I remember first tasting beer and thought it tasted like metal or something. It was gross. And wine was gross. You still push through. But I guess we train ourselves too with those lolly drinks as well, the Passion Pop and the West Coast Cool. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. Like I thought my palate had matured enough that I really enjoyed wine now. Like what a, what a joke. <laughs> yes. So I'm so glad, whilst I wouldn't recommend for people to challenge themselves in that way, because it's very dangerous territory there, but I'm so glad you were mindful enough to stop and actually think about it. It was giving yourself still that space to stop and actually be mindful and think, hang on, what is this actually doing for me? Is it worth it? And that you were able to stop, thank God. Yeah. And I knew it was very close. Like I I knew that it was, it could have gone either way. And that was why I was like, no, like I would have been probably five, five and a half months sober. I think I was then. And yeah, I was like, nah, not giving that up. Mm-hmm. How did you manage the rest of the trip after that? Or did it not come up for you again after that? No, it didn't. It didn't come up for me. I journaled on that really well. When I left, I went home, I went back to the hotel and I called my alcohol-free coach and had a big discussion about it and worked through all the reasons why and all that kind of thing. And it came down to that little bit of deprivation thing, which again, I've worked through. I'm not depriving myself by not having alcohol. Like it's not a deprivation. I'm actually fortunate enough to be in a situation where I don't have to drink. So that's kind of been one of my turnarounds. But those habits do die hard and we just, yeah, we always just need to be a little bit wary that it could be there and just know that we, well, for me, that I, yeah, I don't want that life. I don't want to go back there. And it's bloody hard work. It's hard mm-hmm. work to get to to get to 12 months. It's hard work even to get to three months. So, mm-hmm. yeah, why throw it away? Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's how I feel too. You just There's too much work involved to just throw it away just for what? A bit of lasagna. Yeah. Yeah, just for a lasagna. And like, it was lovely lasagna. It's amazing. Didn't need any wine to make it better. Yeah, it's totally, absolutely. So where to from here for you? I made an official Facebook post yesterday that I'm going to do another trip around the sun. I told everybody. So everyone's aware of that now. Yeah, I think it's a forever thing. I'm still not ready to say forever, but I'm just really excited to see how much better life can get. If this is how much better it can get in 12 months, what are all the amazing things that are in store for me in the next 12 months? And just learning more about myself and meeting all these amazing people who are alcohol free, who I didn't even know existed before. Like I really didn't have any friends who didn't drink. Well, like not close friends, not friends that I, and just all the different things that we can learn about and do that doesn't involve alcohol. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing what's out there. Yeah. Who would have thought? Who would have thought not everyone's sitting in a pub getting drunk? (laughs) Absolutely. That's amazing. (laughs) Well, good on you, Jade. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And also you've got coming up, I know by the time this podcast is aired or this episode is aired, your podcast will probably be out and happening, but tell us a bit about the podcast that you're working on. So I am working on a podcast. It's going to be called Sagamatha Spirit, which is the Nepali name for Mount Everest. So it's around stories of people overcoming adversity and not necessarily just alcohol, but situations in workplaces or mental health issues or even injuries to sports stars, that kind of thing. So I'm really keen to hear people's stories about how they overcome adversity and how they get to the point where they're, they're their selves. So that's what the podcast is going to be all about. 
Amazing. How inspiring. That's gorgeous. Are you interviewing your husband? Yes, he'll be in it. There'll actually be a couple of people who who I've met through the mountaineering circles, but then also a few people, like people who I know who've come back from pretty horrible workplace situations and how they've actually worked through that burnout, that kind of stuff, which is increasingly becoming an issue, which usually involves alcohol as some component to burnout because people are using alcohol to self-medicate from the stress of their workplace. So yeah, so it's pretty exciting that people have got lined up. Yeah, mm, so. Amazing. Oh, that's so great. It's awesome to have watched your journey and it's great to have you in the grads group. It was great to have you in the challenge. And also just speaking of challenges, because I haven't run one for a while because we've been away, the next challenge I've got coming up is in July. So it'd be start of July for the Dry July, another six-week challenge coming up. So if anyone's interested in joining that next challenge, please get in contact with me or go to the website and there's plenty of information there on how to sign up for that. What's one of the things that you probably found you got out of the challenge, Jade? The key thing for me was around recognizing that I needed to feel more. So getting more in touch with my emotions was probably the big one for me. And I was somebody who was very not involved with their emotions. And now I recognize them and still not perfect. I'm still a work in progress. But mm. for me, it was actually making that connection around my emotions and that I actually was numbing with alcohol. Didn't click about that one. But yeah, highly recommend the challenge. It's best six weeks you'll ever spend. It's so much good things and you meet so many great people who are on the journey with you. And we all know community is a really important part of the change process. So get on there. It sounds like you've used lots of different things too, like the Annie Grace stuff then the challenge. And then you said you're working with a coach as well. So you've drawn on lots and lots of reading, lots of learning. So there's lots of things that you've drawn on to keep yourself on track, which is really important too. It's check out all different types of things. It's not always one thing is going to work. Sometimes it's drawing on lots of different information and different sources to help. Absolutely. And that was the thing for me. Like, yeah, there was kind of pick the bits that work for me and everybody would be the same. Like things that work for me aren't going to be the same things that work for other people. So Mm. I would 100% recommend listening to different podcasts or different audio books or different ideas of things that can help. Yoga isn't for everybody. Breathwork's another thing that I've got really got into in the last, probably really only in the last four months. It's amazing. Was there anything else you'd like to share? That's it. Thank you, Danny. Thank you very much for your part in this. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. And yeah, I'm sure many people listen to it and think the same. Whenever I recommend it to someone, I'm like, start from the start and listen to all those ones about doing 12 months. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations on your 12 months. It's amazing. Maybe we should catch up again on your next 12 months. Let's do it. Let's see what else I can achieve in the next 12 months. Amazing. Good on you. Thanks, Jade. Thanks, Danny. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.